Backyard Farmer. I'm Kim Todd and I'll be your host for the next hour of answering your gardening questions. You can get in touch with us by dialing 1-800-676-5446. Our volunteers will be happy to help you. you can, we have one more week for you to contact us with pictures and emails for a future show and one more show. And that address is byf at unl.edu. Do tell us where you live. Give us as much information as you can so we can give you a good answer. Without a, that out of the way, Wayne, we have a giant insect. Yes, this is one of our larger insects that we have in the state. Uh, this time of year I tend to get phone calls and samples in about this particular insect. It's a giant water bug and they come to lights as well as the uh, sometimes people call it they find them in their cattle tanks or horse tanks and they're large they're kind of imposing looking uh, but they're unless you have a koi pond with very small koi they're of no danger to anybody or any livestock. I know you're staring at me like, really? Yes, these <laughs> things will eat small fish, tadpoles, uh, that's uh, larger in aquatic insects is what they'll get into, but they do migrate this time of year. And so they just come to lights, they show up in other water areas. And I suspect with a lot of the water levels being down, we might see more of them moving this year. That's why I'm bringing it on here. Just heads up, you'll see them. Just be careful when you handle them, they do uh, bite by sticking their mouth part into you and injecting digestive enzymes. Oh, great. So it does hurt. <laughs> Thanks, Wayne. <laughs> Terry, what is that? <laughs> um, so this season, we have talked about pretty much every single one of these uh, beautiful weeds that I have brought today. So a little preferable, a little... None of uh, us can talk tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently not. So... Um, but one of the things that we always talk about is, especially if you're going to hand weed them out, is to make sure that you don't let these plants go to seed. So I walked around the backyard farmer garden this evening and all of these are up in the backyard farmer garden and they're all going to seed. So we are not really doing what we said we should do, but we just remember that all of these will have different seed dispersals. So some of them will kind of puff out and fly away. Some of them will lay seed kind of where they're at. Some of them will attach to other insects or bugs or animals and move away. So sometimes you'll get weeds that you don't know where they came from. And sometimes that's how they got there is just from these different ways that seeds can disperse. Should the, those go in the compost pile or not? They will be going in the compost pile, yes. All right, I guess. <laughs> Lauren, <laughs> what do we have? Well, uh, I've got a couple things tonight, Kim. And the first one is I brought along a pine log uh, because some of our viewers may have 10 year or older uh, Scotch pine, which are very susceptible to pine wilt. And you may see those browning on here. You can just see the holes in here from the Sawyer beetle that's actually uh, one of our boars that vectors that nematode. But one of the reasons I brought uh, a nematode problem along tonight, Kim, is that all of our viewers have a neat opportunity if you're in the Lincoln area or you're gonna be traveling to Lincoln between now and the end of September. Um, in the Department of Plant Pathology, we have a nematologist. And uh, many of you have heard us talk about nematodes like pine wilt on the show. And our nematologist, Dr. Tom Powers, has created an amazing art show of all of his scanning electron micrographs of nematodes that's on, sh on show at a local art gallery at the Wall Space Gallery in Lincoln. And so every Thursday, Friday, Saturday between now and September 30, 
Uh, if you're interested, uh, you can see an amazing show with the relationship of what you don't see underground and these nematodes, and they're just fascinating features. So again, uh, encourage people to go out. It's a really unique art show and, and just a beautiful display. Excellent, and we'll make sure it's posted and set great. all around. Yeah. All right, Kelly, what do we okay. have tonight? Okay, well I have, I'm glad I get to bring the pretty thing, although I, that art show would be really, really cool and pretty. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a beauty berry shrub is what it is. And um, it's, it's a suffrutescent shrub, we call it, so it is one that typically dies back to the ground. Um, I <coughs> cut mine back to about a foot each um, spring, and then it grows back. And it's what it, one of the things it's known for is this fruit in the fall that's turning purple. And as you move up the stem, um, you'll see it's just starting to turn purple. But they have these long arching stems. Um, even though I cut it back to about a foot, it still ends up being about three foot tall and about five foot wide with these pretty arching stems. And you know, the purple berries won't stay there all winter. Um, usually after about three, four hard freezes, they kind of turn brown, but you still have the arching stems, you still have the brown berries. So there is some winter interest there. Um, it's not a native shrub. And um, there might be some, might be starting to see it starting to seed, so we're going to have to keep an eye on it. But it is uh, if you're looking for something with a little different purple shade and in, in the fall, um, beauty berry or um, calicarpa. Cal calicarpa. I almost said Coitzia, <laughs> beauty bush, but calicarpa is right. the genus name. All right, thanks, Kelly. First round of questions goes to you, Wayne. Uh, one picture on this one. And this is fun. His mother found this clinging to the bottom of a trash can. He thought it looked like it was going to hatch into a butterfly. Is it going to or is it rotten to the core? I don't think this one's rotten to the core. Okay. If you look really close, you can see some orange background coming through that green. Mm -hmm. uh, that That's a monarch butterfly uh, chrysalis. They do tend to crawl away from the milkweed host plants that they have fed upon when they are going to turn into a chrysalis. And this one's that orange background is a butterfly about ready to come out. Awesome. So fun find. Very cool, those are a beautiful chrysalis. All right, two pictures on the next one. Um, this is a Blair viewer. This webbing has appeared on the tips of her U hedge. She's wondering what it is and what, how to treat it. I was looking at this. I'm not entirely sure what this is. Uh, I would do the tap test with the paper just to make sure it's not spider mites because when they get going and they make that much webbing, there's a lot of them there and should be able to get that tap test to work out. It also looks matted down, like maybe it's been there for a little bit by the time that picture was taken and it hasn't really been kept up. So whatever was there, maybe gone. Try just removing it with the hose, uh, spray it down to get that webbing washed off and see if it comes back and then go from there. All right, Terry, you have one picture for your first one. Um, and it's actually another picture from the same viewer from a different spot. How and when can they eliminate creeping Charlie from the turf grass lawn? Well, they are very lucky because now is the time to start doing that. Creeping Charlie is a perennial weed and we usually recommend doing, managing perennial weeds in the fall. So now is the perfect time to start doing that. You would use like a three-way herbicide on that and spray, and it will take you several applications, probably a couple, three years to get rid of it since it's that thick. All right, and, and the La Vista viewer who sent one of those did say he has used a weed and feed product. 
Well, so it's going to depend on when you applied that weed and feed. So if you're applying weed and feed like most people do, like in July, then it probably won't be doing that. You need to do that now. So don't use any fertilizer. Just use a straight herbicide and try to get rid of it that way. All right. Uh, one picture on the next one, Terry. This is a viewer who uh, saw an abundance of tree seedlings. She thinks elm, and now they're taking over the yard. Way too many to pull. Is there something she can spray to get rid of them? So I would probably do the same thing as I just mentioned with the Creeping Charlie. Use like a three-way herbicide mix, broadleaf herbicide mix on this. And now again would be the perfect time to do that. Basically what plants are doing right now is they're taking all of their energy and they're sending it down to their roots. So the fall is the, the perfect time to do this because you're taking, that plant's taking all that herbicide down to the roots and you're going to get a really nice kill out of those roots this time of year. All right. Or you can just keep mowing them and you have an elm lawn. Sure. <laughs> All right, Lauren. Nice kill. You sound like an honorary plant pathologist. <laughs> this is a viewer in Ralston, Lauren. Ornamental corn and this strange-looking mass appears to have snatched their bodies, she says. <laughs> what is that? Uh, it's beautiful. This is uh, a corn smut, and mm -hmm. all the corn, uh, different corns get, will, will be infected by this. Um, and uh, not really anything to do about this. It will overwinter in the soil, so you will want to remove the gall if you're trying to garden without this. Um, you can go on the Backyard Farmer site and see a video of me trying to make this happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> And Rock talked about it last week, and he was very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, it is actually a, an edible fungus. So, All right, uh, two pictures on the next one. This comes to us um, from, not sure where here, but she has a rose, it's a tea rose, hybrid tea. The, tam is, the stem has become sort of squarish. The leaves are a little mutated. It, the rose is over about 10 years old. Yeah, and if you, if you look closely at this picture, some of the newer growth has some leaf strapping, and I, I think this is just an example of some sort of a herbicide or growth regulator drift. So um, I would just watch the plant. It may recover fine if it was a light drift, and, and uh, it'll recover. All right, thank you. I'm sure she'll be glad to hear it's not Rose Rosette. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the lesion on the stem at all. All right, excellent. Kelly, uh, one picture mm -hmm. on the first one. Okay. Uh, and the, your first two pictures are sort of related. This mm -hmm. one comes to us from Delaware. Okay. She wonders if you can cut back a panicle hydrangea <coughs> like this one in August and then again in the spring and still get it to growth because she said, mm -hmm. this is limelight, mm -hmm. uh, heavy flower heads that flop to the ground. Right. She cut it back because she was afraid if she didn't, all the stems would break off. Okay, well, panicle-type hydrangeas, they with hydrangeas, you have to know what age wood they bloom on, and these will bloom on actually old wood and new wood. Um, so no, you don't want to prune it twice, because if you... They're typically, they with limelight, they're, if you do any much pruning on them, they're, it's usually late winter, early spring, and you kind of do selective pruning to shape it, to maybe cut it back a little bit to control height. Um, but if you pruned it again in August, again, in the spring, you're pruning off that old wood that might have uh, flower buds on it. And if you prune it again um, later, then you'd be pruning off, you know, the newer wood that would have the old wood versus the new wood. So anyway, you don't want to prune it twice. And I've heard sometimes with these, the more you prune them, you have that younger, uh, you know, younger stems that aren't as strong because these have these very large heads and they are heavy. So uh, they do kind of flop. They do kind of 
go down and flop, but as the plant gets a little bit older and a little bit more girth on those or diameter on those stems, um, they might support it. But then Kim was telling me that they do cut them back here on campus pretty low and those don't flop. So, you know, maybe make sure you're not putting on too much nitrogen or something such as that. Uh, but the answer to the question is don't prune it twice. Most of the panicles are pruned in late spring, late winter, early spring. All right, and this is a, a second person with yes. the same thing, and she put a mm -hmm. trellis on it, which works. And then she also has, so you can see kind of what mm -hmm. that one is doing. And then I think we have a picture perhaps of her hibiscus. Mm -hmm doing this. Uh, this is an Omaha viewer and she's wondering about cutting the hibiscus back mm -hmm. so that it becomes sturdier. Okay, so hibiscus, um, they bloom on new wood. So this is one that in the spring you can cut these back and they don't get really, really floppy and sometimes they will just die back as well because of the winter kill. So cutting it back and it will help, should help it become stronger and a little bit denser and more shrubby so it's not quite so gangly. All right, excellent, thanks Kelly. Well, you know, if you watch our show, you do know that we are going to renovate the turf in our Kime Courtyard. We recently went to Iowa State University to see the shade turf trials. Now we are ready to plant. Here's Matt to give us the details. All right, here we are at Kime Hall Courtyard and we're doing a little bit of seating renovation. Uh, over the years, the lawn has kind of declined due to what it was in. What it was in here, it was mainly tall fescue, and the trees are getting bigger, so there's more shaded areas, and we're getting these thin spots. So what we decided to do was leave the existing tall fescue because it's doing well in areas and still thin in some. But we decided to incorporate a shade tolerant grass, uh, and that is fine fescues. So we used a blend of five different fine fescues, and that's going to help you know, establish a different variety within this shaded tree area and hopefully establish well and continue for years to come. So the reason we're choosing a seed that's better for the shade, I mean, if any homeowner does have a tree where they've been having difficulty establishing it, it's not always the grass. It can be just the tree is sucking a lot of the moisture. So no matter what grass you grow there, it might be difficult to keep alive if you're not doing supplemental watering. So. In this area, we chose a shade mix, and we're hopeful that we can get that established and make sure that we get enough water under those trees to help that grass thrive. Uh, it's difficult growing in the shade no matter what you use, but this grass has better potential than some of the others. Uh, so what we're doing in this area is we're going through, we're drop seeding the seed at a rate of five to six pounds per thousand, and then we're coming in with a power rake. And what that does is it beats up the top uh, thatch layer and the soil layer and it incorporates the seed into that mix while also allowing the old mix to survive. We didn't end up spraying any Roundup to kill off the existing. We're trying to just incorporate new grasses within what we have. Uh, so next we're going to go and we're going to at least fertilize this area with phosphorus. So generally a pound of P205 is what's required to help initiate and establish these lawns. Uh, you can do a soil test but it's always a good recommendation to have some sort of fertilizer with phosphorus in it to encourage that, that grass and to spread before fall and winter comes. So the reason we're doing this renovation at this time, um, if you look back, you know, generally August 15th is the time to seed. Uh, we did have that, you know, 100 degree heat wave. So for seeding in that time, uh, germination can be very difficult. We can have dampening off. Uh, so we still have a good time frame here all the way up to, I'd say, September 15th to get our cool season grasses in the, in the ground. 
that's why we're doing it now when the cooler temperatures are around. We really couldn't wait to see if the turf thrives in shady areas, but apparently we have baby grass up already. So we will probably return to this topic next year and show you how good it looks after a season. All right, Wayne, uh, you have two pictures on this first one. This is, I don't know what's happening with the tomatoes. This comes to us from Burwell. They're either Celebrity or Goliath. They've been watered, they grow on fences. She put tums in the ground when they were planted to avoid blossom end rot, and they've been fertilized. And they look fine until she cuts into them and then she finds this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as Kyle said at the Haskell Ag Lab, it's tomato problem season. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Everything going on. Well, thanks to Terry for helping out with this one. Since there's no real entry point that I can find on this, um, it looks like it's internal blossom end rot. Mm -hmm. So even though she tried to put in those tums to provide the calcium, if you're overwatering and pushing that calcium down that's water soluble, it may go outside the root zone. So that's potential. And also potential the black there. seed is actually that's something that can occur with poor pollination in tomatoes. So who knows? Not insect related though. All right. How much I know. Okay. You have two on the next one. Um, this is Cotoneaster, and she had a row of Austrian pines that died. She planted the Cotoneaster. They've done well. They leaf out beautifully, and in the spring they look, or in the fall, they look like this. Any ideas on this one? Oh, this is another tap test one. See if you've got the spider mite problem going on these. Um, that blank piece of white paper, tap over uh, under the leaves. See if anything falls off, starts crawling around. If that's the case. You can manage for spider mites later in the year when they start to show symptoms. Otherwise, the only other thing I can think of is really check those stems tip to bottom for scales. And then you'll have to figure out what kind of scale you have. Right, or hand it over to rots and spots and say, okay, your turn, right? Lauren's <laughs> <laughs> a no thank He's you. He's just laughing. <laughs> okay, you have one Got more. Got my own problems coming up. <laughs> <laughs> you have one more, Wayne. Uh, this is uh, West Omaha. She has cone flowers. They were gorgeous, and now they look like this. And so there's that little head moth thing going on, there or whatever. Can it is be, in there. but this I don't know. This this doesn't. If you look but everything close, baked, you can see that I couldn't get things zoomed in zoomed real good enough. on this. So yeah. it's it's hard. And this is one of those ex a landscape style picture like this is fine. But then we also need something up close right. so we can see the details a lot better. Right. Um, Otherwise, I wasn't able really to see much from this particular I picture. do know that's not Astro Yellows, so that does not go to <laughs> Okay, Terry, you have one picture on the first one. Uh, this is, she had soil delivered to her house. It was supposed to be topsoil. Um, Follow-up question that I asked was, just here, did something happen? She did get a soil test. She discovered what and what to do about it. So yeah, so I got to look at the soil test and at, as soon as I saw this, I kind of was like, where is this at? And had to look and it is in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. um, so this is actually salt. And one of the things that you can do to get rid of salt is to actually leach it through the soil. Um, I did look up the process to do that and to get 50% of, of that salt away out of that space, you're gonna have to put down at least six inches of water. Yeah. So with the water restrictions that we have and all that kind of stuff, 
you know, it may take you a little bit of time to get rid of this. There are a handful of things that you you can plant in this. Actually, fescue will do well in kind of a high salt content. Not for sure this high salt, but it will take a higher salt content soil. And so will buffalo grass. So depending on what you want to do with that space, you may just want to mulch it and leave it there for maybe a year. All right. Thanks, Terry. Uh, you have one picture on this one, too, and uh, this is from Brad Shaw. This is talking about how to kill unwanted turf, and he used a paint roller. Well, what do we think? Because we talk about glove of death. What do you think about this? So this is very fun. So um, just to let everybody know, I'm filling in for a rock tonight. Yeah. And um, so he was supposed to get this, and this gentleman was actually at the state fair last week, mm -hmm. and he showed me this picture, and he mentioned that he wanted to show this to rock because rock's always talking about the glove of death, and he uses the roller of death. Mm -hmm. So I think this is fantastic, and it is very innovative. Exactly. All right, one more uh, for you, Terry, and this comes to us from Millbank, South Dakota. <laughs> Dying ash was removed, had the stump ground out about five years ago. He's seeded every spring. The seedlings take off, remains bare. Of course, the squirrels did, but the grass, you know, is new this year, hot and dry. How in the world can he get new seedlings, new grass seeded where this old ash was? So I'm going to recommend a change in management for this. I'm going to recommend this becomes a landscape bed. Uh, most turf likes full sun and you're, I mean, this is midsummer and you have full shade almost. So I would probably think about maybe taking that bed and expanding it a little bit and kind of making that all into a landscape bed and then plant some understory shrubs or some herbaceous plants or something like that and kind of get move away from turf. All right. Lauren, your first one here. Uh, this is peonies. This comes to us from Shenandoah. They've been in place for several years. They haven't really grown. They, they, they have all this spotted brown stuff. Is this fungus or virus is their uh, question? Well, I, it, from the picture, it's, there's a fungal leaf spot. It looks like a cercospora leaf spot on the peony. The question I had on this was overall management and if there was an excessive amount of mulch or something, if they're fertilizing, they, they look like they're nu nutrient deficient and maybe mm -hmm. even nitrogen. So I questioned what was going on there. So they might look at, um, you know, what kind of fertilization they're doing. If they did do something that they have a lot of mulch or wood chips or something like that, or the previous picture where something was there before. Because um, I haven't seen it that severe, but nutritional stress would cause that to be more severe. All right, thanks, Lauren. Uh, two pictures on the next one. We've had this from a number of viewers. It must be the season. Her hydrangea looked good until a couple of weeks ago, and now it is doing this, and I think we have another one. And her question is, of course, will it survive? Yes. <laughs> no, this is not no. lightning. <laughs> that one doesn't count. Um, and actually, this I, I believe this is a different species of Cercospora, because the Cercospora species, in fact, different plants in each one. But I, I do believe this is. They both have purpley colored mm -hmm. margins and spots uh, many times. And uh, in this case, you can see new growth is coming out. It's healthy. Um, I wouldn't recommend any treatment if you can. If you're watering, try to avoid overhead irrigation, but it, it's not going to die. You can use sanitation to help reduce inoculum during the winter months. All right, and you have two pictures on the next one. This is, we had two viewers actually send this question in, um, Lauren. 
This one's from Omaha. She wonders if there is anything she can do for the Hollyhocks now, but if she can't, what should she do next spring? Uh, it's a beautiful picture, too. I just love this. I mean, you can't <laughs> beat a rust disease that's just going all over. It's wonderful. Um, but in this case, nothing to do right now. So this rust, uh, you know, a few shows back, we talked about sunflower rust and it being able to cycle and overwinter on the plant residue. This is another rust that will do that also. <clears throat> so in this case, if you can use sanitation in the fall, uh, remove any debris, you know, cut the, cut the plants off at the soil line, it won't be in below the soil. Uh, it would be on above ground plant parts. So if you can just cut those plants off, uh, remove all that debris that you can, and that will help a lot. Um, you know, even going beyond that, if you want to break it down more, if you could, you know, stir the soil up and, and get things to break down, um, that could be a good practice as well. All right, thanks, Lauren. Kelly, one picture on the first one. Uh, this is sun sugar tomatoes. It comes to us from Western Oto County. Mm -hmm. Doesn't affect the taste. Um, what, what is this? One yeah. to four well, lines. Well, on tomato these. fruits, yeah. Tomato fruits have a number of disorders that are physiological and this is called zippering and mm -hmm. it looks like a zipper. And uh, most, uh, most resources believe it's when the anther sticks to the developing fruit and the anther is the male part of the flower where the pollen is. And that's supposed to, uh, supposedly, I don't know why that causes this unique zippering, but that's, that's supposedly the cause. And you're right, it doesn't hurt the tomato in any way, shape, or form, just makes it look like it has a zipper on it. Okay. We have, uh, your next one is one picture from Niobrara, spaghetti squash. What causes them to do this? Well, this, it could be pollination when it's the, sometimes, uh, okay, so the squash, you know, the vine crops, cucurbitaceae, they have separate male and female flowers on that plant and so they need um, the insect pollinators to move that pollen back and forth between those flowers um, and it, people don't realize it takes more than one visit so like with cucumbers I know it takes like nine bee visits to get full pollination I'm not sure what it is with squash but I would guess it'd be something similar so when you get that shriveling on the blossom into the fruit sometimes sometimes it's a lack of pollination um, otherwise, I'm not sure what it would be unless, they, you know, as they're developing, they didn't get enough water and it started to shrivel up. But I would lean towards pollination issues. All right. And one more. And this one is a hollyhock question. But bought three hollyhocks, different colors, planted them in a planter box with drip in partial shade. A couple were in deeper shade. One has smaller leaves, no flower shoots. The leaves look different. Is it a hollyhock? Do hollyhocks need more sun? That's really his question. Okay, yes, hollyhock uh, does like full sun. They'll bloom best if they receive full sun. I've seen them growing in somewhat shady areas and they'll bloom, but they do prefer full sun. And um, growing, they're not the greatest one for growing in a container, so that could be leading to some of the issues as well. Um, but maybe it's just a lack of sunlight. All right, thanks, Kelly. Well, our garden has had another spectacular summer. We've had bumper crops, gorgeous flowers. Let's hear from Terry for the final time this year in the Backyard Farmer Garden. This week in the Backyard Farmer Garden, we're looking at what we've done all summer long. Remember getting our seeds started back in January and February, growing them up in the greenhouse, bringing them out in May to harden off, getting them planted, and then watching them grow throughout the season. We've had a fantastic season. 
We have our new raised beds and they've worked really well. We've had some new vegetables that we've tried out like our jicama. Probably won't be trying that one again because it didn't succeed, but we had our little Mexican gherkins that were really great and fun for the kiddos when they walked through the garden. We've also been harvesting all the produce out of our garden and collecting the produce from you who have been bringing us on Tuesday nights and thank you very much. To date, as of this week, we will be at 1,400 pounds total between the donations and our harvest. And remember, all of that's going to the Husker Food Pantry to help support the students. So we still have some great fall color that we're gonna be able to see in our garden. So stop by the Backyard Farmer Garden and check it out. Right now it is time for the lightning round. All right, Kelly. I'm ready. Okay. We have uh, actually a student today asking us whether hibiscus seeds can be planted and will they produce the same plant as the hibiscus they came from? Anytime you grow something from seed, there's a possibility that you won't get the same thing. All right. So no, kind of. Something similar, very similar, <laughs> but maybe not identical. We have a viewer who uh, wants to collect native seed of grasses and, and perennials this fall. And she wonders, is that the right time to do that? It, the seed needs to be mature, so you want to collect it when it's mature. So on the plant, you're collecting it if it's mature. Um, and then you want to, of course, store it in a cool, dry place. All right. We have a Lincoln viewer who says they have maples that are scorched on the pavement side. Is there anything they can do about that scorch? Okay. Well, if it's the scorch, if, they, if it's the trunk they're talking about, that scorch, no, just leave it alone. Um, if it's the leaves, then, you know, just... <laughs> Direct watering to try to help the tree. All right. Um, sweet potatoes, the ornamental ones, can you uh, dig up those sweet potatoes underground and overwinter them? You can try them, I guess. I've never seen, heard of anybody doing it, but you can All right. try. All right. Thanks, Kelly. You ready, Lauren? I'm always ready. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Your first one uh, we have had before. We get it again. This is a Grand Island viewer who has something on her ornamental pear leaves. She says it's orange on the top and it's got fuzzy things on the bottom of the orange spots. What is that and what to do? Rust. And what to do? <laughs> Nothing at this point right now. I've never seen it kill the plant, so I, I wouldn't really worry about it. Enjoy it. Right. We have a, a Hickman viewer who described one pepper in a pot and it has sunken spots on the pepper. Any idea on that? If it's on the end, it could be blossom end rot. All right. We have a Sioux City viewer who has uh, two spruces out of 30 plus. The tops are dead about 10 feet down. Is that potentially a canker and will it recover? Yes and no. It's a canker. It, that part will not recover most likely. Uh, you're going to have to assess if you can identify a new leader All and right. cut that out. Uh, we have a viewer who has a crack that's oozing in the very bottom of a, about a 12-inch caliper tree. Is there anything to do about that? Start looking for replacements. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Of> the tree. <laughs> okay. It's, it's most likely going to die in time. Now, it may last 10 years. Well, you know, we all I die in time. Yeah, so. but it, it's got something, some sort of canker. All right. <laughs> Terry, are you ready? No. <laughs> Let's go. This is uh, from two or three viewers, actually, Lincoln, etc. This week is in the 80s. 
Is it time to seed or should they wait until the weather is actually even cooler? No, do it now. All right, we have a Norfolk viewer who has both quack grass and foxtail that have taken over both the landscape bed and the lawn. Control it now and with what? Uh, I wouldn't control it anymore. Again, make sure that you don't let it go to seed and then use a pre-emergent. It'll be that second set, you know, when we talk about pre-emergent for crabgrass earlier in the year and then that second kind of three, four week later, do it that because they're going to be a warm season grass. All right, we have an Oakland viewer who wants to know in the extreme heat, should you mulch your grass clippings or bag them? Uh, you should always mulch your grass clippings. All right, we have a viewer who wants to know whether this is a good time to use a lawn product like Weedex with halts to prevent annual bluegrass. No. All right, a La Vista viewer is wondering whether d extreme heat and cold affect liquid lawn chemicals. Uh, yes, it can. And some of them you can just kind of mix and redo, but some of them, if they freeze, they are not any good. All right, nice job. Okay, Wayne, ready? I like my odds. <laughs> <laughs> we have an Arthur, Iowa viewer who says flies are just destroying her pears. Is there something to spray so she can get some pears? Not that's gonna work real well uh, to keep them off for a long period of time. Best to pick them when they're ready. And that's usually when the fries get into them is when they're about ready to pick. All right. Uh, we have a viewer from Lincoln who wants to know, uh, are there certain pesticides that can harm the plants instead of just the bugs they're trying to get rid of? If over-applied and not following label directions, yes. All right, we have a viewer who has been fighting thrips inside. She's used bonide, insecticidal soap, et cetera, et cetera. Are there any other uh -huh. tips? A shower, okay. literally a shower. Uh, <laughs> hose them down, wash them off. All right, we have uh, a young viewer who wonders whether soldier beetles are harmful. They're not. They're either predatory or they visit flowers. All right, we have a Bellevue viewer who is asking us, uh, does it seem like there are far fewer insects this year than in previous seasons? Well, we would expect that with the drought year. A lot of our insects will not be out in force due to that, especially right. our fireflies. All right, nice job. We have a tie <laughs> and no tiebreaker. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kelly, what do we have today for oh. Plants of the Week? Okay, the Plants of the Week are uh, goldenrod, and, and the greenery is hosta, obviously. Um, but this is the time of the year that goldenrod oh, is blooming, yes. and I know we've said it many times on this show, but no, goldenrod does not cause hay fever. So plant it, it has heavy pollen. And the ones here, this one that looks more like a spike is Wichita Mountain. Okay and a very beautiful one with a lot of dense uh, stems and dense flowering. They're just kind of starting to open. And then the one up on top is a crown of rays, which looks more like uh, the one that you'll see growing out uh, in the wild area. So very pretty goldenrod, pollinators love it. All right, thanks Kelly. Um, first pick for you, Wayne, this comes to us, uh, we don't know from where, but she's saying something is eating her geranium buds with three question marks. What is eating them? Uh, likely a very small tobacco budworm. Right. They're tough to control. All right, pick off the flower. Well, they don't necessarily hang out on the flower. So you pick off all active flowers, spray thoroughly, and then 
hopefully that works. All right, two pictures on the next one. Uh, this is from Oto County again. Uh, she's thinking that the uh, caterpillars here, had two pictures were on the borage in the garden and thinks they're painted ladies. She thinks correctly. All right, and a follow-up on that is we have a viewer who went to check her rain gauge on Sunday. She found it stuffed with dead painted ladies, dumped it out, and she's wondering if that is because of the heat. I would have loved to have seen the picture of them actually in the rain gauge to see if there's anything else in there with them. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure something didn't try to stockpile them in there. Mm. Um, as it is, they could have been after the water in there if there was no other water around. But uh, I would have liked to have seen them actually in the rain gauge All to right. go further on this. We have a, a rural Shenandoah, Iowa viewer who was gone for two weeks, came back and the Brussels sprouts looked like this. She knocked off most of what looked like eggs. She didn't see insects. The sprouts themselves look fine. What got them? <laughs> I think this looks like classic cabbage white butterfly and I always find it funny. Everybody wants to call it a moth and not a butterfly. It's just like Mm -hmm. Water bugs, or water, or what do they call them? Water bugs. Mm -hmm. You know, they're actually oriental cockroaches. No one wants to admit that they actually have something that's bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Terry, you have uh, four questions here. The first one is one pick, and it is Is there any type of herbicide that kills the alliums? They've tried everything on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the best way to do this is um, kind of in a strategic manner, cut them back and then put the herbicide on it. They have like a very waxy coat on the leaves and stuff, and that's going to keep that herbicide from getting into that plant. So if you cut it, open it up so that the herbicide can get down into the plant, that's going to be your best way to approach this. All right. Uh, one picture on the next one. This weed has really spread. Grass has been badly stunted, shallow roots and pulls easily, but there's way too much of it. So this is spotted spurge. So this is one of my, one of my samples that we've talked about all summer long. Um, you can pull it out, it's pretty easy. If you, I don't spray it anymore, pull it out, use a hoe or something to kind of break it up. Get as many pieces out as you can because it can root down, but then put a pre-emergent down next spring, late spring, because this is gonna be a warm season plant. All right, one picture on the next one. He simply wants to know if this is a weed. Yes, in my eyes, this is a weed. In other people's eyes, it is not. It's a mallow. Um, it's one of those uh, mallows that likes to move about all over the place. We have them in the backyard farmer garden. And I pulled about two dozen of them out yesterday. Okay, and two pictures on uh, this next one. So he found this in central Omaha along a trail. This weed thinks it's the same as everything else but you've got one that's variegated in here and his question is will that come back as a variegated thing um maybe it will maybe it won't um, sometimes this is how plant finders find new varieties but this is sometimes like a issue with the chlorophyll or a virus so maybe something that lauren might like but it's just kind of an anomaly all right, uh, Lauren, two pictures on the first one and your next one after that is sort of related. These are lilacs. The first uh, two pics come to us from Colorado. Um, Miss Kim lilacs planted in, planted in late April in rock. She pulled the rock away. She didn't do that. She knows better. Um, she wonders what she should do now. She's seeing this problem like that. 
I, I think mm -hmm. this one is, is really just high temperature yeah. injury and doing anything you can to cool the rocks if, if you're able to water, you know, not during the middle of the day, but just making sure that there's some water around that will help that rock cool down a little, but it's still gonna be hard All under right. high temperatures. And That's then your next one is also lilac. It comes to us from Tilden and she's been watching the leaves turn brown, curling on the bottom, curling on the top. She doesn't know, is this drought or is this drift? Because she did have some spray. Yeah, I, I think this may be drought also because there was an indication with watering that new growth was coming out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just keep in mind, we've had some really high temperatures, some really dry conditions, and all, none of our plants like that. So if this didn't have adequate moisture and then they watered later, I would guess it's just, just water stress. All right, two pictures on the next one. Uh, this comes to us west of Louisville forested area. Uh, this is uh, prairie aspen, two years old. It's got these black spots that are getting worse and worse, and then they eventually turn black and fall off the tree. Well, and, and I was questioning if it's actually the spot because there look like some webbing. So um, Wayne talked about doing the tap test, and, and I questioned if there weren't mites on this. So I, I would do that tap test and check. Um, it doesn't look like a fungal disease that I would commonly identify in aspen. All right, and then you have uh, two picks on the next one, and this is a multi-trunk undergrowth maple, severe loss of leaves, leaf damage, branches near it were normal. It's got this, is this spray yeah. or is this tar spot? It, well, it, I look close at it. This isn't tar spot. It looks okay. like it from the picture initially, but if you look in the back, there's some leaves that are turning black. I think this is some sort of damage to that branch, and I would follow it down and look for a canker because while this is not a normal symptom, some of the back leaves do look like something where you had basically a, a disconnection of, of nutrient and water flow. All right, and one more, and this is uh, from Hubbard, Nebraska. What's causing the brown rust-colored rot? on our cauliflower. Oh, I, I, you know, on this one, I, I really think it's uh, light related. I think it's sun injury. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm gonna say. Anything you can do to, to cover that up, use those leaves, roll them up. Some people use a clothespin, whatever it is, try to protect that head while it's developing. Okay, Kelly, two pictures. Mm -hmm. Okay. First one is a red point maple planted three years ago and then saw these uh, growths at the base. Are they suckers? Should they trim them off? Will it hurt the tree? And are the cracks something they should worry about? Okay, yeah, yes, those are suckers. And yeah, you do want to remove them. And you know, when they're small, pull them out. I supposedly they come back slower if you do that. Otherwise, clip them off. They'll, they'll probably continue to do it and then clip them off as soon as you see them when they're small. The cracks, you know, maples are thin barked. Um, I kind of zoomed in on this. It didn't look like it was an issue that was probably of a concern. So I think it's just as the tree's growing and the bark's growing, uh, and it should be fine. Um, it is a little odd that maple's suckering. We don't see that a lot with maples. So that could the suckering could be an indication that maybe more is going on. Um, in there and the cracking, although it doesn't look bad yet. Um, so just kind of keep an eye on it. Okay, two picks on the next one. Uh, this is a seward viewer with a locust that has what she describes as things <laughs> on the trunk. What is that and will the tree survive? Um, what should we do here? Well, it looks like mechanical damage to me and I, I don't know what the mechanical damage was. It's, it's kind of fresh and it's kind of sliced and somebody walked by it and you know hit it with the side handle of the lawnmower or something too close, it's hard to say. Um, at the top of the tree looks fine, the crown looks fine. I don't see any, you know, die back, maybe a little discoloration in the foliage, but don't cover it, don't put a wound dressing on it, and time will tell. Okay, and two more on this one, and this uh, viewer, this is pecans and oaks. It's happened for two years, the leaves turn early and drop. They 
do water. Mm-hmm. Wondering, uh, is there something else going on or is this simply drought? Well, I, you know, I, I zoomed in on the leaves and it does look like scorch where the leaves are turning brown from the tip back or from the edges inside. So, um, but that's a, a lot of trees uh, to be affected by it. So it could be the drought, um, you're watering, make sure you're not overwatering. Um, but also at the same time, some people are watering, but they don't, they're watering too shallow. They don't water long enough and they're watering too shallow. And with the drought we've had the last two years, um, you want to water trees about um, 12, eight, 12, 12 inches deep or 18 inches deep if you can. Most years with regular precipitation, we, they're okay, but the last couple of years they haven't. So, you know, check the soil, take a trowel, check the soil, make sure it's not too wet. Uh, but at the same token, if you are watering, make sure you're watering deep enough. And then you don't have to water very frequently if you water deep enough. Okay, thanks. You know, earlier this year, Scott Evans talked about how to promote pollinators throughout the growing season. Scott returns to give us some suggestions for fall blooming plants that feed those pollinators. Summer's coming to a close across Nebraska. However, there are a couple different things that we can be doing to make sure that our landscape is still providing for our pollinators before we put our gardens to bed. We know that native insects tend to like our native plants, but during the fall, some of those floral resources might not be available. We can lean upon some of our introduced non-invasive plants such as the Seventh Suns tree, Blue Mist Spirea, even some of the sedums. The Seven Suns is a small tree or a large shrub that does great in our areas. It blooms late August into early September, and when it's not in flower, it does have exfoliating bark to add some winter interest into the landscape. If you're daring, you could try the Blue Mist Spirea, which is a perennial-like shrub that can be a challenge to grow in Nebraska. However, if you have that perfect spot and it comes back, it's going to reward you with some fantastic flowers that the bees and butterflies like. When it comes to some of our native plants, we need to make sure that we're choosing the right plant for the right place. A lot of our fall blooming natives tend to be large and they can dominate the landscape. When you look at some options for you, such as goldenrod, We can choose from the Missouri goldenrod or the undescribed species called Wichita Mountains. As a side note, goldenrod is not responsible for your fall allergies, that's ragweed. We can also look at some of our other plants such as the fall blooming asters, some of the liatris, even um, some of the joe pie weeds. They all do really well, but make sure that you're choosing the right plant for your location. We can even look at some of our perennials such as the blue cardinal flower. This is a smaller plant that does well in a shaded location and damp soils. It has a pale blue flower that grows about maybe two and a half, three foot tall, and it does great in challenging locations. Before we do any type of cleanup in the garden, we want to make sure that we keep as much of the foliage intact and on the ground. This is going to help provide a lot of overwintering locations for our insects, so don't do a lot of cleanup until next spring. Fall is in the air, fall is for planting. Go out into your landscape, look at some of those flower gaps, see what might be missing, and considering adding some of these plants to your landscape. 
We do hope you'll consider diversifying that home landscape with these and many of those other plants to help those pollinators find that food and shelter. And all our bug guys are really happy about that. All right, Absolutely. Grow a Row is our only announcement tonight, which is the Backyard Farmer Garden Grow a Row is still going on. Tuesdays, 4.30 to 7, bring those produce donations and they get donated. All right, Wayne, two pictures on the next one. Uh, this is a honeybee hive that they just noticed. Walked past it, never knew they were there. They're near Pickerel. She's wondering, um, they don't seem to be doing any harm, but should she just let, let them be, B-E-E, -E, or should she get that <laughs> hive removed? <laughs> it, it's actually a swarm, mm -hmm. so they haven't started the hive. They've left the hive, mm -hmm. and inside that big mass of bees, there's at least one queen. Um, I've been in on a swarm that had four queens in it, Mm -hmm. and you can call a beekeeper. They'd be more than happy to come out and collect those bees and give them a home. Uh, or you can just let them be, <laughs> and they'll find one on their own. All right, thanks, Wayne. Uh, this is a Manhattan, Kansas viewer. She bought hickory wood from a supplier to use in a smoker. She sees sawdust around the bags. Is it carpenter ants or termites? Neither. Okay. Uh, in this case, when we get dry wood like that, you're not, that's not in soil contact. You're not gonna have the termites because it's not in soil contact and you're not gonna have the carpenter ants because they're in wet rotting wood. So this is gonna be dry wood. It's just wood bores that are left in that wood and that's one of the reasons why you hear the burn it where you buy it, do the local sourcing on, on the wood so you're not spreading around any potential things like emerald ash borer or other boars that are exotic and not where they're supposed All right. to be. We have a Council Bluffs viewer on your last picture that wants to know what is this and what does it do? <laughs> it's a woolly aphid. <laughs> uh, that's an actually waxy secretions on the back end of that aphid and they, they suck sap out of plants. That's right. what they do. Is that its only form? That is the winged form. Yeah. Um, basically remove the wings and you've got the non-winged form and they don't look too terribly different. Okay, Terry, two pictures on this one. Uh, this is a Omaha viewer. This is a grass that has volunteered in a fruit <coughs> landscape bed. They think it's pretty, but they're wondering what it is and if it's okay to let it naturalize as a casual landscape plant. Yes, so this is, we talk about yellow nut sedge all the time. This is one of its cousins. Um, I believe it's Pennsylvanica. I think, but I'm not for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just great. Uh, we have it in the backyard farmer garden in our rain chain and it's a pretty nice alternative grass. Okay, two pictures on the next one. This is an acreage outside Plattsmouth. They brought, they plowed out a bunch of invasives, uh, reclaimed it, seeded it, and then this pretty big slope doesn't get mowed and this wispy grass grew up. What is this? Uh, this is a switchgrass. Um, probably is listed on your seed package if you had it. Okay, Lauren, what are your first questions going to be? One is a Hale Haven peach tree. Doesn't produce much. This year it went gangbusters and then saw this. He does treat twice a year with fertilome, horticultural oil spray combined with a copper fungicide what's causing this and how to treat it. When we see this, uh, in particular our stone fruits, brown rot is a disease that many of our viewers see in the fruit, but it also can form a canker, and I believe that's probably what this is. So uh, we're running short on time, so just read about brown rot and management. And then cut down the peach. Well, this branch. Maybe. It, 
it, it can go a long time with it. Okay, two pictures on the next one. This is raspberries. The leaves are curling and drying and the fruit is small. And so this is, do we think this is disease or drought again? This isn't disease. I, I believe this just isn't enough water. Raspberries take a lot of water when they're fruiting. Uh, just to keep that fruit and, and to have enough moisture to, to continue production. So uh, I, I think it's that. In some cases in raspberries, the, the canes will break uh, because of the weight and, and depending on how they're grown. But in this case, I think it's grown. All right. Uh, one picture on the next one. <clears throat> this is, uh, he says it's interesting. <laughs> Cucumber plant is fruiting in a cluster at this one point where normally there would be a single fruit. Is this disease or is just... Just so, interesting. This is really interesting. And, I, you know, outside of a, a, a microburst of ethylene just in this one little spot, uh, which I'm joking about, um, <laughs> I, I really don't know. Phytoplasmas can do this. You might follow the vine and, and just watch that vine over time and see if you see that on any other points on that vine, um, that on the individual, that individual portion, because it could, I mean, it could be a phytoplasma. There are phytoplasmas in cucumbers and it could do that. All right. Kelly, uh, two pictures on this mm -hmm. first one. Okay. She's wondering why apple-like fruit would be growing on this shrub. This mm -hmm. is from Omaha. Okay, well this is a flowering quince and flowering quince do um, develop fruit and it is edible. Um, it's not real tasty. If, if you had more than one, it doesn't look like there's a lot there. You can make jams and preserves out of them and then they are tasty. All right. Uh, one picture on the next one. This is really fun. She had a fig tree for six years. Her husband dug it up because he thought it was a bur oak. And she's wondering, did it grow back from a missed root? Okay, well, I love bur oaks, so yeah, keep them if you can. Um, but yes, it, it could have, that's probably what happened because it is, a, it is a ficus, it is a fig. Yeah, absolutely. And two pictures on the next one. This is a house plant. It was, I gave it to you because Lauren had enough. <laughs> plant was growing and doing great until one day it started getting yellow-brown spots. She waters occasionally. Okay. Drainage in the bottom, indirect sun, not sure what's going on. Okay, yeah, well this is a, kind of a classic system, si symptom when you get the, that browning, the yellowing, and then the halo around it. And you know, there's different things that can cause it. Um, one possibility could be too cold of water. Um, you wanna you let, what, when you water plants, make sure you let it get it to room temperature. Um, if it stands for 24 hours, if there's anything in there like fluoride or whatever, that helps that settle out too. It can be too wet a soil, it can be too low a light possibilities.